Good morning. Poor Thomas. Every year, the week after Easter, we talk about poor Thomas, and I'm really not sure why he gets such a bad rap. Doubting Thomas has become such a colloquial phrase that even those who do not know scripture know what it means to call someone a doubting Thomas. It's not a compliment. I just don't understand how we came to single out poor Thomas. I mean, let's take a look at the history for a minute. Now, this is a completely different sermon for a completely different Sunday, but I just have to say that the women who were the first to learn of Jesus' resurrection, they believed, and they ran to tell the disciples who did not believe until they saw Jesus with their own eyes. So it was okay for them to be skeptical until they saw, but it was not okay for Thomas to feel the same. And just because Thomas had a previous engagement during the disciples' first meeting with Jesus, he gets to be the poster child for doubt for all the days to come. Then we have to talk a little bit about Peter, who leads the charge of announcing the resurrection. Lest we forget that just a few days prior, Peter had so vocally denied Jesus' pronouncement of the crucifixion that Jesus said, quote, get behind me, Satan. And then Peter doubted so much that Jesus had the power that Jesus said that he did, that after Jesus was arrested, Peter denied knowing him three times. Yet now he has seen, so he believes. So again, I'm not sure why poor Thomas gets to hold the torch as the eternal doubter, but I do feel for him. I do think, though, that it is really important for us to pause and call out the reality of death, of, excuse me, of doubt, especially as we stand in the freshly minted moments of the resurrection. Christ is risen. All is well. So why do we feel so alone? Christ is risen. All is well. So why is there still doubt and suffering and tragedy all around us? All is well, Christ is risen. So why have we had an average of one school shooting per week since the beginning of 2023? I feel some amount of comfort or maybe solidarity in knowing that even the disciples, the ones who were closest to Jesus when he walked the earth, had trouble comprehending the resurrection. But that doesn't make it any more clear. What does the resurrection mean if there's still so much tragedy in the world? There is a reason we pause today to live in this doubt and tension. Now it's really important for us to note that Jesus did not berate Thomas or any of his disciples for asking for tangible truth, tr proof. No, Jesus allowed Thomas and the others exactly what they needed. He offered his wounded flesh to Thomas in an act of love and understanding. He allowed Thomas to touch his wounds. He offered him the gift of certainty. And then Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have come to believe and yet have not seen. Now, I think many of us, and probably several of the disciples, saw this as an admonition Jesus was making towards Thomas. But I see it a little differently. What if Jesus 
was really making a call to action. Jesus was explaining that he would not be with them like this forever, that the disciples had a unique opportunity to assuage their doubt. The disciples had the unique opportunity to stand in the physical presence of the resurrected Christ, his flesh, his bones, his breath. Jesus was giving his disciples a mission and telling them that their work would not be easy. He was encouraging them to remember that they believed because they saw and they touched. And for those that did not have that privilege, belief might be a bit trickier. It was up to the disciples to support and make known the gift of the resurrection. Jesus told his followers, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Resurrection is hard to understand. Jesus was not surprised by the doubt of his disciples, and he did not want his disciples to write someone off in the future simply because they had doubts. Help them let it go, Jesus was saying. Help them lean into the mystery and find release. Do not retain their doubt. Have you ever noticed that all of our corporate prayers and creeds speak of we and our and us? The Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. The Nicene Creed, we believe in one God. The Confession, we confess that we have sinned. Have mercy on us, forgive us. We come together to believe for and with one another. On days that you have doubts and you can't believe, know that I am standing here believing for you. And on days that I have doubts and I can't believe, I know that you are standing in support and certainty for me. Jesus knew that doubt was certain, and he called his disciples to go into the world and spread this message of faith and doubt. As writer Anne Lamott says, the opposite of faith is not doubt, but certainty. Certainty is missing the point entirely. Faith includes noticing the mess, the emptiness, the discomfort, and letting it be until you see the light. So we accept doubt as part of the package, and that's comforting in a way, but then what does the resurrection actually mean if not certainty of peace and love and healing? We can come to church on Sunday, and we can believe for and with one another, we can pray and comfort and stand in solidarity, but the world still hurts. What does it mean that Christ is risen if we still live with so much suffering and heartache and pain? What does it mean that Christ is risen if my daughter is frightened to go to school or the nail salon or the movie theater or the mall or the bank? Here is what it means to me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God loves God's children enough that God was and is willing to take on the pain of the world right along with us. God literally and physically embodied the entire spectrum of emotions and vulnerabilities and tragedies of the world. God took on flesh to feel the pain, to live the pain, and to teach us how to love each other through the pain. Our gospel today says that Christ literally breathed on his disciples and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
He offered them his torn and wounded flesh. He broke bread with them. These are all physical experiences, breath, flesh, food. God loves us and comforts our doubts with a physical and fully embodied spirit. This is Christ's call to us, Christ's command to us. We are to go forth in the world as a physical embodiment of Christ's love, sometimes a suffering love. Celebrating Easter in a vacuum is not enough, I say to those of you who are at church the Sunday after Easter. Yes, we are forgiven. Yes, Jesus overcame death. But if that's the end of the story, then I'm not sure what to do next. The disciples were afraid. They were hiding and unsure. Jesus literally came to them from the grave. He ate with them. He comforted them. And still they were afraid and unsure. Still they doubted. And still the world could be cruel. Case Smith was a D1 college athlete at Baylor University and now serves as the senior mentor of the Faith and Sports Institute. He draws a really interesting connection between the bench where athletes listen to their coach, refuel, and wait their turn, and the pew where Christians listen to their priest, participate in the liturgy, and recharge. Smith notes that athletes usually want to spend as little time as possible on the bench, but often Christians get a little too comfortable in the pew. Through his breath and his wounded flesh, Jesus calls us to use our bodies, our flesh, our hands, our feet, our lips, our breath, to spread the love of Christ in the world, to do all we can to heal the sick, to comfort the hurting, to feed the hungry, to give shelter to the unsheltered, to work together to expose the light in the darkness. As humans, we have no other way to live in the world except through our God-given bodies. Through the resurrection, Christ calls us to use the gift of our unique and precious physical bodies to be in the world, to spread love and peace and healing. It's not an easy task. Doubt remains because our job will never be fully done. Our bodies are finite, but the call is clear. The love of God is embodied in your flesh, in your breath, in your bones. So come to the pew for nourishment and recharge, and then go into the world as the divinely and uniquely made physical embodiment of Christ's love and healing and peace. Amen.